Chapter Six of Uganda's White Man of Work: A Story of Alexander M. Mackay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Uganda's White Man of Work: A Story of Alexander M. Mackay by Sophia Lyon Foz. The King and the Wizard. About Christmas time in the year 1879, there were two names which, in the region of Uganda's capital, seemed to be on everybody's lips. One was that of Mukasa, the great wizard, who lived on an island in Victoria Lake, and the other was the name of Mr. Mackay. The great wizard's name was always spoken with reverence and fear. Mackay's was usually coupled with a curse. Indeed, many would have been glad to see him tortured to death. For some time it had been rumored that the great wizard of the lake was on his way to the capital. Month after month, Arab traders had tried to get away from the country to take their ivory and slaves to the coast. But when they went to the port on the lake, they were always refused canoes because, it was said, the great wizard of the lake is about to visit the king. The great spirit or god of Uganda was supposed to be living within this wizard, and for this reason he was greatly feared. Many other less powerful spirits or gods were worshipped by the Waganda. When the people were anxious about their crops, they went to the god of food. When threatened by famine, they went to the god of famine. In time of war, offerings were made to the god of war. On other occasions, it was the god of the earthquake, or the god of the plague, or the god of the smallpox, which was most worshipped. Here and there, along the roadside, under some tree, or in the private courtyards of the chiefs, were to be seen the tiny huts, already described, which were sacred to one or another of these gods. In some of them dwelt the wizards and witches, in whom the spirits or gods were supposed to live. Very plainly were these strange folk dressed, usually in simple robes of goatskins only, and they carried clubs or crooked wood decorated with iron knobs and bells. Now and then a wizard, assuming a high falsetto voice, would rave like a lunatic. The people, thinking that the spirit within him was angry, would bring him cows and chickens and goats as gifts, and even a great many pots of beer, for the spirits were supposed to need very much to drink. When offering such gifts, the Waganda would be praying the best kind of prayers they knew, while the wizard would make them think more prayers were needed. These men and women of magic also made a great many trinkets, sometimes simply from bunches of grass, or again from the teeth of animals, or from odd-shaped stones. After mumbling mysterious words over these trifles, the sacred men sold the trinkets to the people as charms. When worn about the neck or ankles, or when placed above the doorways of the homes, or hung about the tiny huts where they made their offerings, the Waganda thought these charms of protection against the numerous evils over which the gods had control. Of all these spirits, the greatest was the god of the lake. If a chief wished to learn what this god could tell him of the chances for success in some war, shortly to be entered upon, he would go to the god's island home in the lake. There lived an old man named Mukasa, the god's wizard. The chief would meet the wizard in a small dark hut, where there was a little wooden stool covered with a heap of bark cloth. On one end of the leopard skin on which stood the sacred stool, the chief would kneel, and on the other end the old wizard would take his place. After some time, the spirit would supposedly enter underneath the bark cloths over the stool. The wizard, thereupon, would be thrown into a frenzy and would then pour forth unearthly noises, giving the chief now and then a word which might be understood. 
After being duly impressed by this weird proceeding, the chief would leave, believing that he had heard the words of the great spirit. Mukasa, the great wizard of the lake, now actually left his island home and visited the capital of Uganda. For two years, King Mutesa had suffered with a painful disease. Many native doctors had tried to cure him. For a time he had been treated by one of the missionaries, who was a physician, and Mutesa was temporarily benefited, but refusing to give up some of his wicked habits of life which had first brought on the trouble, he received no permanent good. Since he suffered intensely and was daily growing weaker, it was rumored again and again that he would soon die. Finally, the queen mother, together with his wives, urged him to go to Mukasa, the wizard of the great spirit, who they were confident could heal him. Upon his insisting that he could not leave the capital, they persuaded him to allow Mukasa to come to him. At last the wizard came, and his camp was set up a mile and a half southwest of the missionary's headquarters. Every day could be heard the rolls of drums beaten in his honor, and men carrying dozens of loads of plantains from the king to the wizard's camp passed by the missionary's house. Cattle, chickens, and even servants were sent as presents to him. He would heal the king by a single word, everyone was saying. It would be some days, however, before he would make his way to the palace, for he must wait for the coming of the new moon to begin his work. These days of waiting seemed to the missionaries most critical days. Should King Mutesa receive this heathen wizard at his court, he would be announcing to all his subjects that he had wholly rejected the white man's religion and was again as much a heathen as ever in the past. To think that perhaps their two years' work would end in such a failure was sorely disappointing. If ever they prayed earnestly, they did now. Every opportunity that arose, they were determined to use in trying to persuade King Mutesa to refuse to see this heathen sorcerer. The morning of Thursday, December the 11th, brought a day long remembered among the court folk and the missionaries. Baraza had already commenced when Mr. Mackay arrived. After various subjects had been discussed, and seeing that Mutesa was in good spirits, Mr. Mackay stepped forward and sat down on a stool before the king. "'May I have permission to ask one question of the king?' he said. Mutesa replied, "'Say on.' "'What is a wizard?' he asked. The question was a surprise to everyone. Some were offended because they believed in the power of the wizard. Others smiled because they thought that the people were believing foolishness. Mutesa seemed to take the question kindly and began to explain what wizards were, that in them lived the spirits of the gods. He also said that the remains of his dead ancestors were guarded by persons who were believed to be able to talk with the departed spirits, and that at times the spirits of the dead kings entered into them. Mr. Mackay told him that there were no living men who could talk with the spirits of the dead, and those that claimed they could do so told falsehoods, that there were many men of that sort in Uganda, but the chief of them all was a wizard Mukasa. I believe you have little confidence in powers of such pretenders, he continued, but I have heard that several of your chiefs have been advising you to go to the wizard to be cured. I sit before you, your servant and the servant of Almighty God, and in his name I beg of you have no dealings with this wizard, whether a chief tries to persuade you to do so, or a common man advises you. The king did not seem to oppose him, and translated his words to the court. Mr. Mackay continued, If this Mukasa is a wizard, then he is a god, and thus there are two gods in Uganda, the Lord God Almighty and Mukasa. But if Mukasa is only a man, as many say he is, then there are two kings in Uganda, Mutesa, whom we all acknowledge and honor, and this Mukasa, who gives himself out as some great one. Mutesa seemed to see the point, and again translated Mackay's words to the court. 
he told him that he was intending to hold a council of his chiefs with a view to coming to some decision in the matter mr mckay urged that there was no need for that for if the king himself believed the wizard to be an enemy of god it would not be difficult for him to lead his chiefs to see how absurd the wizard's claims were then mutesa opened a discussion with his chiefs on what is a wizard he ended the talk by saying if the wizard is a man he is not a wizard for a wizard is a spirit or god one of mckay's letters gives the rest of the story of that day at court i said that this mukasa was practically causing rebellion in the country for he disobeyed mutesa's orders and asserted his right over the lake as before that of the king it was more than five months since mutesa had ordered his arab traders to be supplied with boats to go to usakama district of kegi yet those traders were not able to start because of mukasa's counter orders this was a state of things that should not be allowed to exist in the book of god i was prepared to show him that both in the old and new testaments all sorcerers were denounced as liars and were ranked in the lowest scale of iniquity moses commanded them to be put to death in our country in times past they were put to the stake but we did not as christians sanction so severe a measure nor did we come here to advise the shedding of blood but still on looking at the express command of god as stated in his book we did advise that every man who deceived people into believing that he was possessed of a spirit should be ordered to cease such deception and if he chose to continue it he should be sent to prison these men were great liars and mukasa as the head wizard was the greatest liar and the greatest rebel in the country mutesa seemed rather delighted at the decidedness with which i spoke and translated everything even recurring to the other way i put it if mukasa is a god we have two gods if he is a man then there are two kings here those who were at the first inclined to defend the evil genius had at length nothing to say for him mutesa's prime minister mentioned that lu kong called himself god of the south end of the lake one of the arabs recommended waiting a couple of days to see what mukasa had to say for himself what was to be done was the question lu kong is a heathen i said and knows not god but i know god mutesa responded yes and it is because you know god and i believe wish to serve him that i now ask you to choose one or the other and not to honor an enemy of god in all history we read that god was with every king that feared him while those who went astray after other gods came to an end of shame god has said them that honor me i will honor and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed some loads of plantains and other donations were at this moment presented and other disturbances arising mutesa told mckay that the subject would have to be dropped for the time but he would attend to what mckay had said thanking the king the white man retired to his seat when court was dismissed the missionary received many a friendly handshake from the chiefs some of them who he supposed were the strongest advocates of the wizard greeted him in a friendly way although some of them gave him the curious look of those who felt they had been defeated another opportunity came the next sabbath the day was fine mr mckay wrote and many were present at service after prayers instead of our usual reading in st luke i turned over the scriptures from exodus to revelation reading a host of passages to show the mind of god toward dealers in witchcraft the laws of god toward moses the examples of saul and of ahaziah the manifestation of our lord to destroy the works of the devil the acts of the apostles especially the case of elimus the works of the flesh contrasted with the fruit of the spirit in galatians fifth chapter and finally the list of those who may not enter through the gates of the heavenly city revelations twenty two fifteen 
All these I read, in order, having previously written out the passages. I had wonderful attention today, much more than usual. I was gratified to hear one of the chiefs say that the list of passages read was enough to set the matter at rest, and that there could be no more dispute as to the unlawfulness of witchcraft. It was but a few nights till the new moon would appear. The following Saturday, however, brought disappointing news. Mr. Mackay heard from one of his pupils that all the chiefs had supplied men to build three small huts from Mukasa and his companions in the king's inner court, and that they had worked late by moonlight in order to have them finished by Monday morning when the wizard was to arrive. There was still a little more delay, however, and Mukasa did not arrive as soon as was expected. Mackay was given another opportunity to speak to the king Monday morning. A few minutes after all were seated for the baraza, Mr. Mackay arose and sat down in front of the king, squatting like a tailor on the floor, as all the chiefs and Arabs did. Mutesa seemed to know what Mackay wanted to talk about, and he gave orders for all music and other noises outside the court to cease at once. "'Is it your pleasure, King Mutesa,' Mackay began, "'that I should cease teaching the word of God at court on Sundays?' "'No, not by any means.' "'You and your chiefs,' continued Mackay, "'have now made up your minds to bring the wizard to stay at court. "'The other day your majesty admitted that he was a deceiver.' I have no right to interfere with your orders or whom you choose as your guest. Only this visitor, for whom preparations are made, is no ordinary guest, but is looked up to by the people as possessed of powers which belong to God alone. We cannot mix up the worship of God Almighty in the worship of a man who is the enemy of God. Mutesa listened intently, and then said to his chiefs, Do you hear what Mackay says? He says that we cannot bring the wizard here without offending God. The wizard is only coming with medicine to heal the king, one of the chiefs answered. Mackay replied, The wizard is not merely a doctor, but is looked up to by all as a god, and as being able to heal people by enchantment. The white man is right, admitted the king. I know very well that this Mukasa is coming to use witchcraft. We should only be delighted if Mukasa could cure the king, continued Mackay, and neither I nor any other missionary would object to his bringing medicine for that purpose. Gabunga, the head chief on the lake, came some time ago to say that Mukasa was able to cure me, said the king. Bring his medicine, then, I said. Gabunga brought some, but said it was of no use unless the wizard were present himself to perform the cure. This and that other fellow says that he is a wizard and that the spirit of my ancestors has gone into him. But do you think I believe that? I believe Mutesa has more sense than to believe anything of the kind, said Mackay. For when a man dies, his soul returns to God so that these fellows are only liars and deceive the people. The king replied, What you say, Mackay, is perfectly true, and I know that all witchcraft is falsehood. Mackay thanked Mutesa for this statement, but the prime minister and the other chiefs did not seem pleased. They saw no harm in the wizard being received with all honor. He would make medicine which they would hang up in the palace houses, as Mukasa was a great medicine man. Medicine is an excellent thing, repeated Mackay. But it is not medicine that has given Mukasa so great a name. This is not the reason why he is regarded as a wizard, but he wishes the people to believe him a god. Again the king seemed to agree with all Mr. Mackay had said. Much discussion followed. Sometimes the chiefs seemed to side with the white man, but usually they were opposed to him. Again Mackay pleaded with Mutesa, saying, I cannot hinder the king from having the wizard as many days at court as he likes, only I find it my duty to tell him that his encouraging this false person will have a powerful effect in the country in making people believe more strongly than ever in witches and wizards, while King Mutesa himself does not believe in them. 
I take my stand on the word of God, which says that all who use witchcraft are enemies of God. Poor Mutesa knew not what to do. His mother and his friends had persuaded him to have the wizard brought to his capital. He acknowledged that it would be wrong to receive him, yet he was afraid not to do as his mother and his chiefs wished. We are all ready to honor and respect your mother and your relatives, again Mackay urged, but God is greater than them all, and you must choose which you will serve, God or your relatives. Baraza was soon dismissed. Mackay's last opportunity to plead at court came two days before Christmas. When all were seated, Mr. Mackay was called forward, and a woman was brought in. Mutesa said to Mackay, This woman, my aunt, has been sent to bring you to the council of my mothers, and others of the family, that you may explain to them why you refuse to allow me to see the wizard. I will not go to explain at any other court than this, Mackay replied. I do not refuse to allow your majesty to see the wizard. Only as a servant of God I warn you of the sin of witchcraft. I use no force, but as I told your majesty yesterday, it was my place to tell you the truth, while you are free to follow or reject my advice. All the chiefs began to talk at once, and the king grew afraid not to act as they wished. Mutesa then said, Now we will leave both the Arabs' religion and the Bazungu's, white men's, religion, and we'll go back to the religion of our fathers. Of course, the chiefs were delighted, for they boldly nyanzigged, bowed, when he finished speaking, clapped their hands, saying, I thank you. Mr. McKay was asked why the missionaries had come to Uganda, and what they came to do. We came, Mackay answered, in response to the king's own request to Stanley, that he wished white men to come and stop with him and to teach his people the knowledge of God. I understood that you came to teach us how to make powder and guns, and what I want is men who will do so, said the king in a show of anger. We did not understand that. Our first work is to teach the word of God and how to read it. If to teach that is your main object, then you are not to teach any more. I want you to work for me. Mackay replied, We never have refused to do any work you have wished us to do, and everything the king has asked to be done, I have done. There is scarcely a chief present for whom I have not done work. He showed his hands, black with daily working in iron for those very chiefs who were saying the white men would not work for them. We want you to stop teaching to read and to do work only for us and the king, shouted the chiefs. We came for no such purpose, replied the missionary. If you wish that, then we cannot stay. Where will you go? We shall go back to England. Several hours were spent in such talk, and the court was again dismissed. At last the time of the new moon had come, and the following day was the wizard's great day of triumph. The missionaries did not go to the palace themselves, but through a few of the more friendly natives they learned what had happened. It was reported that four or five of the head chiefs had gone to the king and told him that if he did not receive the wizard and have the old religion back, they would take his throne from him and make one of his sons king. Mr. Mackay writes, Before dawn, I was awakened by a terrible beating of drums in the neighborhood. I got up and looked out in a dense fog. I gathered at once that it was a procession of the wizard going to the palace. The sound of drums got nearer, and the united shrill cries of hundreds of women became more distinct, and then faded away as the great procession turned up the highway to the king's palace. I felt relieved that the party did not have to pass our house, for who knows what a capricious and fanatical mob might have done on a moment's impulse but I retired into my room with the feeling that we were in the hands of our loving father, who will not allow a hair of our heads to perish. I afterwards learned that the wizard put up at the house Gabunga, head chief on the lake, who is now at the capital, till midday, when he was received at the palace. The king was removed from his ordinary house and seated in the main court, 
for the three huts were built for the wizard and his two companions. By some reports, Mutesa and his wives alone were inside the house, the Katikiro sitting in the doorway, and all the other chiefs sitting outside, while the wizard also sat outside near the door, his companions sitting near him. All agree in saying that a vast quantity of beer was consumed by the wizard and the chiefs, Mutesa scarcely touching the liquor, that the king sat silently all the time, while the wizard sang. Some say that Mutesa paid little attention to the wizard, but called forward the small sorcerers to play and dance before him. Few were near enough to know anything that the wizard said or sung, but one man says that he predicted war in the country from the presence of strangers, not now, perhaps, but within four or five years. For several days, the great wizard and his companions presented themselves at court, going through their chanting, dancing, and drinking as on the first day. Finally, the last day of the year, Mutesa refused to see the wizard again because the cure which was expected had failed. Mukasa was obliged to leave and return to his island home. So the year ended. King Mutesa had yielded to the persuasions of his chiefs and relatives and had returned to his old heathen ways, only to be disappointed again by false pretensions of the heathen wizard. What might next be expected, no one dared to predict. End of chapter 6